You know, there is a line that when it's crossed, you can't go back. We don't like to think about that very often, (laughs) about eternal consequences or things that cannot be changed. But there is is a moment, there is uh, an activity, there is something that when we go that when we go that far, that can't be undone. The good news, <laughs> and what I've come here to tell you this morning, is that you are not there. You are not across a line that cannot be changed. If you're going the wrong direction, you can change. It can turn around. And change is important to understand for our lives because we see it in different categories. This can change. This is not likely to ever change, and this is just hopeless. And we put these things, our marriage, our life, our relationships, our jobs, our situations, our finances, our uh, relationships with our children, with our parents, we put them in these different boxes. And I'm here to tell you, God is able to bring change. And that's what's really on my heart this morning. And what I believe God is going to challenge you with. Charles Dickens, uh, his most favorite story that he wrote was the Christmas story. And you probably are familiar with it. The Christmas story is where there's a really, really mean, rich guy (laughs) who is mean to everybody, uh, Bob Cratchit, everybody, and then the consequences of that and what happens. Because he is at the edge. He's at that moment. And then there is a change. There is something that happens so that everything turns around. Now, what's interesting about this is that this Christmas story that everyone knows, it's literally known around the world. It's a very familiar story. But what you probably don't know is that it is based on a biblical story. That Charles Dickens wrote this when he heard this biblical story and was so overwhelmed and was so enthralled with it and so entranced by it that it just got a hold of him, and he thought about it, and thought about it, he thought about it, but there was something about it that he didn't like. So when he wrote his story, he changed the ending. Jesus told the story, he loved this story, but in the end he thought, ah, I don't like the way it ended. I'm going to change that ending. So we'll talk about that. So we've been talking about, and this is the last week we we're dealing with the series of how do we build strong spiritual families? How do we see God touch my family? How do we see my relationship in a, in a place where it is used by God? It's in a good relationship with my children, with my parents, wherever you're at in that relationship. How do we see that? And I, I, what's really on my heart is to understand the aspect of how do we get to that change, how do we get to that moment in our relationship? It's really about the title of this message is next in line. How do, we, how do we understand that moment when we're next in line? Now, we've been looking at the story of Ruth, and this is the fourth week in the fourth chapter. In the other chapters, I won't go back and reiterate everything we've talked about, but I encourage you, if you, if you can't remember, to go back and watch the, the messages in the previous weeks and how it all came about. Just as a quick review, we got uh, Naomi with her husband and her two little boys goes and leaves Israel, goes to Moab, and as she, they're in Moab. Her husband dies. Her boys grow up a bit. They get married, and then both boys die. <laughs> then there, she's with two daughter-in-laws. One stays, and Ruth commits to her and comes back. 
And then we have this amazing story of how she encounters Boaz, who is a, a close kinsman, someone who's able to uh, what is called kins, uh, uh, redeem her, a kinsman redeem her. In other words, uh, take care of the property and everything that's there. And, and all the story and how last week we talked about the love story and how that is connected. Now we get to the pinnacle, to the change. What brought the change about? What actually, I mean, all the story leads up to this. Everything uh, that we talked about is good, it's, it's great, but there has to be a change. There has to be something that turns it around, that changes it from this momentum over to this momentum. And this is what we find in this fourth chapter. Boaz is committed to marry uh, Ruth. Ruth has asked, and, and then we talked about that last week and that love story and how that transpired. So but Boaz is committed, so he goes through the city gates, he talks with someone who is actually in line before him to redeem Ruth, to marry her, to redeem the property that Naomi was most certainly going to lose because she couldn't, couldn't keep it because they didn't have any finances. So he goes to this person and says, okay, this is what I, I want you to do. If, are you willing to, to do this? Are you willing to buy this property? And look what it says in Ruth chapter 4, verse 4. I love this. Uh, he talks to the man and, 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 and says, will you be willing to redeem it? Will you redeem Ruth? Will you redeem Naomi? Will you redeem the, line, uh, the, the, the land, everything that's there? If you do so, but if you will not, and here it is, I'm next in line. In other words, this is what he's saying. You, you should do this. You're, this is your moment. You should take care of this. But if you won't, I'm willing to step up. I'm willing to be the next in line. I'm willing to, to do all this and, and to, to risk this. And this was, a, this was an incredible moment. It was, a, it was what we might call a pregnant moment, something full of potential. And I believe we have potential moments in our relationships, in our lives all the time, and we miss it. We miss the moment because we don't think it's, oh, that's not that big of a deal. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, not that, it's not that important. It's, it's not that relevant, or, or I can wait, or I can put it off. You see, this is what we need to understand. To be next in line, to step up, to see the change that I believe God's going to do in your life, and God wants to do in your life, you have to be willing to embrace this moment, and to see the moment, to understand the moment that you're in. <laughs> we dismiss moments, they just go by so quickly. Another one just went. Another one just went. I can do this all day. Another just went. <laughs> and, and, all, and, and you don't even realize, but, all, but I believe these are pregnant moments. This is, we're not so far over the line that we cannot see the change that God wants to do. See, this man said, no, no, no. I, I, he, at first he said, I'll do it. I'll, I'll buy the land. <laughs> this is like a good deal. Then he says, oh, by the way, Part of this is you need to marry Ruth. And he says, I can't do this because and this is what the, the word the NIV uses. It might endanger my plans. Literally, that word, what it means is destroy. And I think we start to get to the heart of how we see the change in our life. Is that he said, I'll do this as long as I can have my plans. <laughs> I, I'll live this way as long as it's, I can still do everything that I want to do. But as soon as all of a sudden he realized, no, no, that's going to endanger my plans. I'm going to have to do a different plan, maybe a plan that God wants for me. 
And I don't want to do that plan because that means giving up my old plans. And I think right there is a key point to just stop and grab a hold of and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I like my plans. <laughs> we like our plans. You know why we like our plans? There are plans. See how that works? <laughs> this is what I'm thinking. This is what I want to do. This is the direction I want to go. I like my plans. I like to do here, to go there. But you see, the decisions, the directions that we are holding on to come directly from our wrong plans. There are consequences. So if we said, no, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this to God, but I'm not going to give this to God. I'm going to live this way and not do this way. And we hang on to our wrong plans, to our plans, to our human plans, to our earthly plans. And when we do so, we miss the moment. My uh, beautiful bride of 36 years is at her father's side who's passing away. Home with hospice. When we realized this was going to happen, he was leaving the hospital. Can't afford a nurse or anything like that. Hospice just basically provides a bed, and a nurse comes in once a week. So Lisa said, well, I'll go. I'll go this first week. I'll go this first week, and I'll sit by his bed. <laughs> Neither one of us understood what this meant. <laughs> it's 24-7 care, medicine every three hours. It's uh, intense, especially when you're taking care of your father. But she said, I'll do this. So we said, okay. I said, Lisa, you go. I'll take care of everything here. I did laundry. Come on. Feel sorry for me. <laughs> Women roll their eyes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I do that in my sleep. <laughs> the point is, she's there. And it wasn't more than a couple of days that all of a sudden we realized, for various reasons, not to blame anyone, there's all kinds of circumstances in families and such and other illnesses and things that are going on. But about all the children... She's the only one that can do this. Every, there's other people helping, you understand, but to be there. So she called me up. She said, Greg, if either I stay or he's here by himself. And we just can't do that. So I said, okay, Lisa, this is what it means. And she stayed. She said, you stay. You take care of your father because I love him as my own father. When el no one else would give me a job after, after I graduated from college, he did. <laughs> He trusts me. <laughs> okay, he just wanted to be with his daughter. But that's beside the point. <laughs> he did. And so I, he is as close to me as a father. And I said, you just be there. So maybe she's there another day. Maybe she's there another month. Maybe she's there another two months. Our plans went poof. <laughs> and we said, God, what's your plan? Even though it's a sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice. She loves her father, and she's doing it because it's a sacrifice. But she's there because she loves her father, and she's following a different plan. See, that's a moment. It's just a very practical moment. When you have your moments, are you willing to say, God, I'm going to do your plan? It's not what I chose. It's not the way I would have done it. <laughs> See, you have to embrace the moment. It's not easy. It's not easy to embrace those moments. But those are the pregnant moments that changes everything. Those are the moments when you say, I'm next in line. I'm going to step up. It's easy to point your fingers. Well, you should be doing this. Well, you should be doing this. And sometimes God's plan doesn't work that way, does it? It's where we have to step up. You see, this is what we need to understand about accepting this change and understanding how do we step up and see the change. Is that if we're going to be next in line, if we're going to really see change in our life, we're going to have to understand that we cannot settle for the acceptable standard. I said, Greg, what does that mean? What do you mean acceptable standard? See, Boaz didn't. Boaz wasn't 
willing to just say, okay, I don't have to do this. He was willing to step up. And that really means understanding that there is, a, to bring the change that God wants to see in our lives, that God wants to see through us, we're going to have to be willing to see it different, to, to have a different attitude about things. You see, Charles Stickens' uh, story, he changed the ending. He didn't like the ending. The ending was something he was uncomfortable with. And you say, well, what's the story? You find the story that he based the Christmas story on in Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to read just the first three verses. It's, it's a little bit long. I want everyone to stay with me. It's important to understand Jesus is telling this story. He's not reading it. He's telling the story. And everyone is listening. So I want you to listen to the story as Jesus told the story and see where that takes us. Look what it, look what it says. It says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. <laughs> he was covered in oozing sores and just longing to eat what came to him, what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, as powerful as all that, those three verses are, what comes next is the kicker. Jesus always does this. If you're reading Jesus' story and it just seems like, oh, okay, that was interesting, you missed something. And that's what's true here too. Because immediately, right after that, Jesus says, okay, and what happens is that Lazarus dies and angels come and take him off into Abraham's bosom. Abraham's sort of like paradise. And then the rich man died, had a grand funeral, and then opened his eyes in hell and in torment. Now, we see this story and we think, yeah, <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> mean old rich man, you know, not caring for Lazarus. This is, this is how we think. But that is not what Jesus' audience and who Jesus talked to in the first century would have heard. That's not what they, they would have been shocked. What? What? No way. This, how is that possible? Why is he in hell? What did he do wrong? And that is the question. What did he do wrong? Why did he end up in hell? Because if you hear it from the way the, they would have heard it, this is what they would have heard. Okay, there's a very wealthy man that had all the means. Got that. And at his gate was a beggar. And the first thing they would have thought is, no way. They would, a rich man would never allow a beggar to sit at his gate. Ever, ever. It just wouldn't happen. They have to be in public places. They have to go somewhere else, but not at my gate. <laughs> they would have kicked him off. But this rich man was so kind that he allowed him to stay at his gate. And not only that, but, but he probably had leprosy. That's what the oozing sores were. And so every one of his very wealthy friends and politically connected people would have passed by there, and they would have said, why are you, why are you letting this beggar sit here? Why are you feeding him from your table? What is this all about? How come your guards, because they would have always had guards at their gate, everyone knew that, didn't make him leave and go away? How, how is this man sitting at your gate? Why is this? And he said, no, I'm going to leave him there. I'm, we're, we're taking care of it. Even the dogs, you see, we see it as some random thing where the dogs are running. No, no, no. You know, those are guard dogs. <laughs> it was very common in front of the gate to have guard dogs to make sure. And then, but they even had sympathy, so maybe they knew him. Maybe he was someone who used to be a servant or something. I, I, don't, I don't know. We don't know all the story of that. It's just that when, they got, when Jesus got through telling that first part of that story, everyone had gone, they thought, hey, he's a pretty good guy, pretty good guy. We think, 
what a bum. <laughs> what a jerk. But they're thinking he's pretty good. So when Jesus said he ends up in hell, then all of a sudden they're going, this doesn't make any sense. And that was the point. That's what was Jesus was driving at. Because you see, in the world standards, to do what this rich man did to this beggar was very acceptable. In fact, it was probably above the standard of what the world said. But in God's eyes, it wasn't enough. And what God wanted him to do. And there we begin to understand. You see, Jesus teaches all this. This is not just one story. Because Jesus says, hey, if someone comes up and takes his fist and just sucker punches you right in the jaw, what I want you to do is to get up after your head clears and say, hit me on the other side. What? (laughs) Nobody's signing up for that. We love the Bible. But when the Bible says that kind of stuff, we just go, I don't know what that's about. (laughs) It's a radical. You you see what he's doing? He said, this is the standards. We don't live by that standard. And if you're going to have change in your life, you can't, if you're going to step up and see God really do something, you can't live by the world standards. They said, well, this is okay, and this isn't. If you give this, if you don't do this, if you say that, that's the standards. No, 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 God has a different set of standards. Disciple came to him and says, oh, man, this guy's really bugging me, and, and, and he's offended me. And should, How many times should I forgive him? Seven times? Like, whoa, for the same offense. Get this, the same offense. I should forgive this person seven times for the same offense, right? He said, no, seven times, 70 for 190 in the same day for the same events. So someone spits in your face, okay, I forgive you. And then they do it the next minute, I forgive you. The next minute, where would you break off? Mm, 200? 15? 2? <laughs> 4? <laughs> What's your number that you say, this is my standard? Oh, my goodness. Maybe God has a completely different view of working things. He says, if, if you're forced to go a mile carrying a Roman soldiers who we despise, bags, then you go another mile. You go the extra mile. Wow. Oh, 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 my goodness. What is this? All of this happens to teach us that we don't think like and believe and love like the world does. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform. Do not live. Do not accept the world standard. You have a world standard. This is okay. This is not okay. Everyone would say, ooh, you're something if you do this. <laughs> but if you live like this, that's crazy. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. We don't conform to the way the world thinks, the way the world acts. That's not who we are. That's not going to change anything. That's not going to change your family. That's not going to change your world. That's not going to change your finances. You have to step up and say, God, I'm next in line, and I'm going to trust you for more. I'm going to live this standard. You see, the man's sin was he missed the moment. He could have done so much more. Everyone around him was patting him on the back, I'm sure, saying, you did good. You really, you really, you really take care of that beggar. But God's standard is so much greater. God has so much more. So the story goes on. Jesus tells a story. He says, he says send Lazarus to, to tell my brothers, don't do this. Don't live this way. There's more. <laughs> tell them there's more. And Abraham, who's there, says, no, no, they have the law. They have the prophets. They understand. They, they, it's about the heart, and their heart is, is not open to that. You see, that's where Dickens rewrote all this. He thought, no, man, that can't be. There can't be a line we can't 
undo. There can't be a a line that we step over that we can't step back from. But you realize that in in Charles Dickens' story, uh, Scrooge is not the rich man. He's the five brothers. And the one that's coming back from dead is the rich man. He's Marley (laughs) saying, hey, don't live like this. What would happen, you can still change. And I'm telling you, that's our moment right now. Because he says, even if someone came back from the dead, they would not believe because it's about the heart. It's about the standard that you're living to. You see, next in line brings all the loves, all of our passions to the greatest fulfillment. We have to understand how this works. And you say, Greg, okay, I'm ready to step up. I'm ready to, to be the next in line. How do, how do I do that? Boaz married Ruth and changed everything. And you're thinking, I just need to work harder. Now watch this. This is so important. Look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. And let's look at how all this was brought about. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. You're going to love this next part. When he made love to her, I believe I said that in church. Okay. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth a son. So Boaz stepped up said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to marry Ruth. I'm going to do this. But who is running th- things? <laughs> who is in control? Who's one that turned it around? Boaz can marry her, be with her all he wants. <laughs> but unless God puts his hand on it, And you see, this is what we need to understand. It's not just us doing good and being better and stepping up and working harder. No, no, no. It's doing that and positioning ourselves so that God can touch it and God can change it. It's always about what Christ has done. It's always about that. You see, God intervenes when we're willing to step up. God intervenes when we're willing to be in line. God intervenes. I I learned this so early in, in our marriage and there was financial times it was so tight. And I know God put on my heart to give this. So I'm, we had this big auction they were doing at church to raise funds. And, and we had just, we had this, some of you don't know what this is, but it was a console TV. <laughs> it was a TV and it had other stuff with it. It's just crazy, I know, but th- that was all there. But it was nice and it was new and it was probably the only furniture in our entire rear apartment that was worth anything. <laughs> and then, and because we're like, watch TV, you know, because there's nothing on. It's just, you know, three, four channels, whatever, <laughs> black and white. No, just kidding. I wasn't, I'm not that old. But <laughs> and, and so God put in my heart, says, I want you to get, donate that. What? what? God ever say something, you choke? <laughs> That's your first sign that you love something that you need to let go. And I said, okay, but you got to convince my wife, who <laughs> was over, was did it in a heartbeat. We were, but, you know, this is about what you love. In the Greek language, there are seven words, actually eight. One is a negative word, but there are seven positive words for love. Four of them we find in the Bible. And, and it's important to understand what these are. You've probably heard of the selfless love, agape love. I want you to picture these seven loves with the agape love in the center. Sort of imagine a solar system with the sun being the agape love, the selfless love, and all the other planets going around it being the other kind of loves. This is the harmony that God has created and wants us to live. 
But when we get that out of, out of uh, balance, when we move it around and all of a sudden we take the other loves and make them the center, that's when everything goes crazy. That's when all of a sudden our families start to break down. So if you, if you picture agape in, in, in the middle of these loves, right in the middle of it, and then you, you look around, there are other loves. One of the love is, is friendship. One of the loves is friendship. And in, in friendship is, some people think that's my greatest love, and they put that in the center, and it's all about friends, making sure they have friends, making sure uh, people like them, making sure that, that they are the, the, the center of the world. And what that does is that breaks down the very love that you're trying to get, the very thing you're trying to do. So there's also a, uh, a word for love for family. And, oh, see, we do that. Sometimes they put family in the middle. Family's most important. My family time. I, it's all about my family. This is the most important thing and not agape love. But what happens is the family starts to in, implode on itself and fall apart when God is not the center, when that uh, agape love is not the center of everything that goes on. There's even romance love, eros, we like that love. <laughs> that's the attraction, that's the desire. And that's appropriate when it's in balance with agape love. But when it's the sinner, <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> that's, the, that's the way the world lives. You know, if it feels good, if I, my desire is there, it's good. If my desire is gone, then so is my marriage. So is my life. So is my family. I'm going to find out and to find that other uh, life that's like that. There's even a word for play, playful, a playful love. And sometimes it's all about feeling good. I'm enjoying this. As long as I enjoy this and you're enjoying this, it's good. But as soon as I don't enjoy it, I'm going to move on to something else. And that is moving these loves around. There's even a self-love that in the balance of everything is good. It is good. You need to have some self-love in connection with the agape love that God is trying to pour into us that is something that is uh, uh, greater than our self-love. And, you, and the people that <laughs> make the self-love the main love and everything else centers around that. And here's the question in all of that. Are you focusing your love around God? Or is you're having God focus around you? Which way is it going? See, Jesus never taught just to inform the mind. You got to get this. It's never about just the intellect. He didn't want to change the way, just the way you think. He wanted to change the way you love. What are your passions? What do you love? That's what you'll pursue. That's what you'll go after. If you're pursuing this, if you're loving this, that's, that's what changes everything. See, the rich man missed the moment, and he couldn't go back. We don't like to think about that very often that there is a moment that we cross into eternity and we can't go back, that that is all done. But the blessing for everyone watching online and everyone that's in this room right now is that line hasn't been crossed. You can make a moment, this moment right now, to put God in the center of everything. See, Jesus came to his disciples in John 13, in verse 34 and 35, and he said this. He said, a new commandment. I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, you know how radical that was to the Jew? We got our, we got our commandments, and you're going to add one? Who are you to add one? God? That is the point. <laughs> he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Now, if that's all he said, then we would be thinking, oh, man, that's great. The world does that. Girls, the world's always out there preaching, love one another. <laughs> you, know, you know, 
make love, not war, whatever, you know. It's all about that. But that's not what he said. He said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. And then he described it, as I loved you. So you must love one another. So it's not just about loving one another. It's not about all those other loves. It's about the selfless love. You love the way that I loved you. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another the way that I loved you, the way that I cared for you. You see, Jesus was willing to step up. (laughs) Jesus was next in line. And he took that cross all the way up that hill and willingly laid down his life. (laughs) There, There was nothing that could force him to do that. He did it on his own free will. To say, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to show the love that it takes to change a world. The love that it takes. See, Ruth and Boaz had a beautiful baby. God brought that baby there. It was that, that child was in the line of David. And Jesus was in the line through Mary in the line of David. Wow! The connection, the power of all that. And how that came about because someone was willing to step up. That's the moment I'm asking you now. For whatever it is God has put on your heart to change your marriage, your life, the world around you, are you willing to step up? Are you willing to be the next in line? You say, Greg, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. What if I step up and I fail? Yes, that's why God has to come in and he brings the conception. He brings the life. He brings the birth in your life right now. Can I pray for you? Father, in the name of Jesus We love you so much. Our hearts are turned towards you. God, there's a moment for every single person in here. God, whatever that moment is, whatever that change is, whatever that you're trying to do to get them to step up, to bring the blessing that you want to bring in their life, God, I pray right now that they would be the next person in line. Say, God, use me. Not my plans, but your plans. Not my will, but your will. And help me love like others, like you love me, so I can love others that same way. So, Father, I pray for every single heart. If there's anyone that does not know you, that has come to that pregnant moment, that that decision moment, and is standing there unsure, God, I pray right now that eternity is set in this moment. Eternity is set right now. For every one of you that does not know God, but wants Him in your life, I want you to pray with me. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all of my sins. I receive you, and I give up my plans. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of all of my sins. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.